the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Grounded and Growing in Christ. I'm Dan Rhoda, a pastor of Worland Park Christian Reformed Church, and today we are going to open the Bible together to hear from God's Word. To hear all of the messages in this series, please visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. There you can learn more about this audio ministry. And we'd love if you'd consider providing financial support by making a gift of any amount. If you're not part of the local church, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday as we gather to worship and hear the Word of God proclaimed. You can learn more about our church at groundedandgrowingradio.com. Tonight I'm addressing another difficult question. Why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? The first text that I'm going to read from is Deuteronomy 32. I'm going to start reading at verse 1, and then I will tell you where we're going to go after I make it through verse 9. Give ear, O heavens, and I will speak, and let the earth hear the words of my mouth. May my teaching drop as the rain, my speech distill as the dew, like gentle rain upon the tender grass, and like showers upon the herb, for I will proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. Notice verse 4, which says, The rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice, a God of faithless, faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. They have dealt corruptly with him. They are no longer his children because they are blemished. They are a crooked and twisted generation. Do you thus repay the Lord, foolish and senseless people? Is not he your father who created you, who made you and established you? Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask your father and he will show you your elders and they will tell you. When the Most High gave the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the people according to the number of the sons of God, but the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob, his allotted heritage. And I'm going to jump to verse 35 and read from there. Verse 35. Vengeance is mine and recompense for the time when their foot shall slip, for the day of their calamity is at hand and their doom comes swiftly. For the Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants when he sees that their power is gone and that there is none remaining, bond or free. Then he will say, where are their gods, the rock in which they took refuge, who ate the fat of their sacrifices and drank up the wine of their drink offering? Let them rise up and help you. Let them be your protection. And then verse 39, take note of it. See now that I, even I, am he. And there is no God beside me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. And there is none that can deliver out of my hand. For I lift up my hand to heaven and I swear, as I live forever, if I sharpen my flashing sword and my hand takes on judgment, I will take vengeance on my adversaries and will repay those who hate me. 
I will make my arrows drunk with blood, and my sword shall devour flesh. With the blood of the slain and the captives from the long-haired heads of the enemy. Our difficult question. Why do bad things happen to good people? This question is, in my opinion, one of the most difficult. This problem has been called the problem of evil, or the argument against God from evil, or just the argument from evil. If God is good and God is sovereign, why is it that evil and suffering exist? It's stated in a bunch of different ways, but the, uh, perhaps the standard way that it is stated, according to Tim Keller, has been, uh, has been refined by the atheist philosopher David Hume. And this is what David Hume says. The old questions are yet unanswered. Is God willing to prevent evil but not able? Well, then he's not powerful. Is he able but not willing? Well, then he is malevolent. Is he both able and willing? Then where's the source of evil? Do you see what he's saying? What he's saying is this. If there is a God and God is sovereign and God is good, how is it that suffering and evil can possibly exist? Wouldn't it mean that either he's not powerful enough to stop evil or he's not good enough to stop evil? Wouldn't one of those two things be true is what David Hume said? But one of the things that I wanted to draw out in the first passage that we read were two different verses from Deuteronomy 32, which talk about the nature of God, about his goodness and love for his people, and the fact that he is peerless, that he, there's no comparison to the Lord God. And that's why verse 4 and verse 39 were so important. Verse 4 in Deuteronomy 32 says this, The rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice, a God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. So verse 4 of Deuteronomy 32 tells us that God is good. And in fact, he's perfect. He's a good God. And verse 39 says, see now that I, even I am he, and there is no God beside me. I kill and I make alive, I wound and I heal, and there is none that can deliver out of my hand. So verse 39 says that God is peerless, he's ultimately powerful, that he is God and there is no one that even comes close. There's no God except for him. And so then the question comes again, all right, if God is good, and if God is peerless and he's powerful and he's sovereign, then how in the world can evil exist? How in the world can there be suffering? How in the world does this work? And sometimes it's stated very personally. Well, why did God allow this terrible thing to happen to me? Why is God allowing suffering to happen to me when I've done nothing wrong? And again, I just want to say that this is one of the most difficult questions that Christians need to struggle with and seek to work through. And so, I mean, it's so difficult that... um, at least in the academy, in colleges, and in institutions of higher learning. In the 60s and the 70s, there was widespread agreement in a lot of different departments of a bunch of different colleges and institutions that there was no God and that this was the reason that we could prove that there was no God. Because if there was a God, there would be no evil and there would be no suffering. I think an interesting historical tidbit into all of this is that that scientific consensus about all of that was shattered through the philosophical work of a Christian Reformed philosopher named Alvin Plantinga. He wrote a book in 1976 called God, Suffering, and Evil, and that book had such a dramatic impact 
that the academy sort of abandoned this argument because they realized that it wasn't philosophically tenable any longer. That's just some fun background. But let me try to address this difficult question because it remains a difficult question. It remains a very emotive one. And what I'm going to do is, is I'm going to give sort of, um, I'm going to give sort of three answers, and then I'm going to make a comment about two responses for us. I'm going to give three answers and then two responses. And sometimes these answers can be, um, some of, so some of them can be challenging for us. Some of what the Lord says can be difficult for us to swallow. Some of the things that he gives to us in his word can be challenging for us to encounter. Some of the things that I'm going to talk about to you in sort of the answers part, portion are not the sorts of things that it would be wise to take to someone who is suffering, right? Do you understand what I'm saying? That, that all, all of the parts of God's word are inspired, but, not, but it takes wisdom to know which to apply to different specific situations. So let me talk about three answers, and this is going to get to some of the just biblical response that it's important for us to know and internalize and believe and own. And then let me get to two responses, which I think are a bit more pastoral in how it is that we address things, right? And so, so it's important for us to know some of these things that God has said to us in his word about how to answer this. But then it's also important for us to know, I think, how it is that we respond to people that are in these sorts of places. Because the reality is that sometimes when somebody cries out, like, how in the world can I believe in God when evil or suffering exists? What it is that they need is the type of response that I'm going to be talking about. Today's message on Grounded and Growing in Christ will continue in just a moment. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, to listen to other messages from our audio ministry, or to make a financial gift of any amount, please visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. That's groundedandgrowingradio.com. This audio ministry is made possible by gifts from listeners like yourself. And we greatly appreciate all those of you who continue to make it possible to share this work with listeners across Chicagoland. Now let's return to today's message. All right, so let me tell you the first answer to all of this. So the question is, why do, good, why do bad things happen to good people? The first thing for us to note is that there, in reality, is no such thing as a good person. And again, I'm not trying to be cute in all of this, but just recognize that we need to have the correct understanding about humanity. Because sometimes one of the things that can be a part of this question, why do bad things happen to good people? Part of the asking of that can be placing ourselves in this role or this realm of good person. So God owes me something. And what I want to say to us is that God does not owe any of us anything. So the first thing is that there's no such thing, properly speaking, as a good person. And again, I'm not trying to be cute. I'm just trying to remind us of the greatness of God and about how the good that he gives to us is grace. And hopefully it enables us to be filled with gratitude. So the first thing is that there's no such thing as a good person. Take a look with me at Psalm 51. Psalm 51 and Romans 3 will help us to understand this. And it's important for us as people to have the right understanding of human beings, the right understanding of our own hearts, and the right understanding of how good and holy and righteous our God is. So Psalm 51, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. 
so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. That's where I'm going to pause, and I just want to make a comment specifically about verse 5. Verse 5 reminds us that we are sinful people, that we are sinners, that our sin, in fact, characterizes us from the time of our conception, that from the time we were conceived, we were stained with sin. I say this not to depress you, but I say it because the Psalms give to us truth about who we are. There's no such thing as a good person, if good person means without sin. We've been sinful from the time we were in our mother's womb. And then Romans 3 actually intensifies it. Romans 3 intensifies it. So let's take a look at Romans chapter 3, verse 10. Romans 3, verses 10 and following tells us this. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they've not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And that's where I'll stop right here. There is no one who is good. That's what the scriptures tell us. We need to have the right understanding of ourselves. And so there are different ways that somebody can ask this question. Sometimes the question, why do good things happen, or why do bad things happen to good people, is asked with a measure of pride or arrogance. God owes me better than what he has given to me. But one of the things that we need to cultivate within our own hearts and souls, and again, I don't know how this, how this hits you, but this is an important thing for all of us to cultivate, is the humility to say, God always gives to me better than what I deserve. Now, please be careful with this. I I think that it would be completely unwise. I think it would be very wrong for you to come to somebody that was suffering because there is genuine suffering. Say a, a dear friend of yours is in pain and they have lost somebody really near to them or something very difficult has just happened to them. It would not be wise for you to come and be like, well, you have gotten better than what you deserve. And then be like, well, I guess I did my duty. I'm going to go home now and I'm going to have dinner. Don't take that to somebody that's in suffering or in pain. But realize that we have the problem of grace. Why in the world does God allow so much good, especially to you and me who don't deserve it? So that's a first answer. There's no one who's good. Here's the second one. The second answer actually comes from God. And this, the second one, the second answer to the problem of evil and the problem of suffering, again, I'm not sure how this is going to strike you, and sometimes when I read the sections of Scripture that I'm about to read to you, sometimes when I take a look at the passage of Scripture that we're going to look at next, sometimes I find it completely unsatisfying. Sometimes I wish that God had given us much more. And sometimes I find it entirely satisfying. Because in this section of scripture that we're about to read, God gives an answer to one of his servants who is experiencing deep suffering and pain. And so I'm going to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Job chapter 38. To Job 38. 
I'll turn there along with you. Job 38. And again, as we read this, I don't know how it is that it's going to strike you. It's on page 522. Sometimes, again, when I read this, these words are like a, like a, a cold drink when I am incredibly thirsty. It's cool and refreshing. Sometimes when I read this, I find that it's like, I don't know, a punch in the gut. Because throughout the book of Job, what's happened is that Job has experienced incredible suffering. And throughout the book of Job, his friends have been, uh, have been telling him, it's probably because of something you did, Job. And Job has been wondering why he hasn't known why the Lord would treat him like this. And then in Job chapter 38, God himself appears to Job and tells him. And what's crazy is that he begins with a little bit of trash talking. But let me read to you from Job 38. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you make it known to me. Do you see how he started with trash talking to Job? And then, oh my word. Verses four and following, this is beautiful. This is what God says to Job. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me, if you have understanding, who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out of the womb? When I made clouds its garments and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said, thus far you shall come and no further and here shall your proud waves be stayed. Have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place? That it might take hold of the skirts of the earth and the wicked be shaken out of it? It is changed like clay under the seal, and its features stand out like a garment. From the wicked, their light is withheld, and their uplifted arm is broken. Have you entered into the springs of the sea, or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you? Have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Declare, if you know all this. Where is the way to the dwelling of light? And where is the place of darkness that you may take it into its territory and that you may discern the paths to its home? You know, for you were born then, and the number of your days is great. Have you entered the storehouses of snow? Or have you seen the storehouses of the hail, which I've reserved for the time of trouble, for the day of battle and war? What is the way to the place where the light is distributed Or where the east wind is scattered upon the earth? Who has cleft a channel for the torrents of rain and a way for the thunderbolt to bring rain on land where no man is, on the desert in which there is no man to satisfy the waste and desolate land and to make the ground sprout with grass? Has the rain a father? Or who has begotten the drops of dew? From whose womb did the ice come forth? And who has given birth to the frost of heaven? The waters become hard like stone, and the face of the deep is frozen. Can you bind the chains of Pallades or loose the cords of Orion? Can you lead forth the Maseroth in their season? Or can, you, or can you guide the bear with its children? Do you know the ordinances of heaven? Can you establish rule on earth? 
I'm going to stop right there. I think that Job 38, 39, 40, 41, this is some of the most beautiful poetry in all of Scripture. And these, again, are challenging words that come from God. Because Job has been questioning God. What is the reason for all of my pain? What is the reason for all of the tragedy that you visited on me? What is the reason that I have been suffering like this, God? And God appears to Job. And he says, Job, you're not God. You're not God. I think this is part of why sometimes this section of scripture is so satisfying to me and sometimes why it's not so satisfying to me. Because when Job comes with his questions about why is there this pain that I'm experiencing, God comes and says, Job, you're not God, so you won't understand. You didn't make the world. You're not in control of it. I'm God and you're not. When I'm, when I'm willing and when I'm humble enough to recognize the truth of this end part of Job, I find that there is great comfort in this. I didn't make the earth. I don't sustain it. I'm not in control of it. I wasn't there when it was made, but God made it, and his ways are great, and he is very good. And there is purpose to everything that he does. And if he treats me as he treated his servant Job, he won't give me the reason for the pain that I might be experiencing at one moment, but he'll remind me that he is God. Let me give you a third answer here. The third answer is perhaps the most fundamental, and that's that we brought evil. And with the bringing of evil, all manner of of death and destruction and decay. We brought it, and God fixes it. Would you take a look with me at Genesis chapter 3? If you want to know why death and sickness and pain are in the world, if you want to know why suffering and hardship is a part of our regular experience, Genesis 3 tells us, and it's our fault, not God's. Genesis 3, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man with his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you've done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. He goes on and talks about how he'll put enmity between the serpent and the, and the descendant of the woman, and, and this descendant will crush the head of the serpent, but he will bruise the heel of this descendant. The woman is told that there will be great increase of pains in childbirth. To the man, he says that he will eat food by the sweat of his brow and that he will return to the earth. 
because he was from dust, and to dust he will return. This is the reason that death and that pain and that suffering are a part of the good world that God created. We brought it here. Let me read to you from 1 John 3, verses 7 and 8. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. We brought suffering and pain and tragedy with the sin that we brought into the world. Here's what the Bible says. It says that Jesus came to destroy all of that evil and wickedness and suffering that came into the world with sin. We brought sin, we brought suffering, we brought death. Jesus came to destroy those works of the devil that came into the world when we sinned. Jesus deals with the problem of suffering by becoming man and suffering and dying on the cross, by being raised again to destroy the very cause of suffering, which is sin. My prayer is that the Lord speaks to you through His Word, that we cultivate grateful hearts to Him and flourish in a world searching for the hope that we find only in Jesus. To hear more about gratitude, to learn about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, or to support our work preaching the Bible on AM 1160 through this audio ministry, visit us today at groundedandgrowingradio.com. I'm Pastor Dan Rhoda, and on behalf of the Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, we want to thank you for your support and partnership in proclaiming the Bible here on AM 1160. If you're not part of a local church, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday. You can find all the details online at groundedandgrowingradio.com. Thanks again for joining us, and until next time, may God bless you. Grounded and Growing in Christ can be heard weekdays at 2 p.m. on AM 1160. I'm Derek Bukema, pastor of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church. This month, we're focusing on the topic of gratitude throughout the Bible, exploring how God has instructed us to flourish in the world with hearts grateful and thankful to God. If you're not a part of a local church, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday as we gather to worship and hear the Word of God proclaimed. You can learn more about our church at groundedandgrowingradio.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.